Marine veteran Mike Liguri is an entrepreneur, strategist, and consultant for the creator economy. He's the author of two books, The Sandbox Stories of Human Spirit and War and The Road Ahead and Miles Behind, a story of healing and redemption between father and son. Mike runs a media company called Live Your Truth Media that helps companies create powerful brands and impactful legacies through content marketing. Coming up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Learn how you can get cheer to last all year with the cash rewards card at NavyFederal.org. When you use the Navy Federal Cash Rewards Card, you can earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. All right, we're talking with Marine veteran Mike Liguri from Live Your Truth Media. Mike, uh, you've written a couple books. Uh, you ran your own business since uh, getting out of the Marine Corps. Got some good things to talk about. Before we do all that, we'd like to hear what you did when you were in the Marine Corps. Yeah, well, Joe, first off, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, I was a motor transport driver, so basically, uh, as what, what we were called is, is we were called pogues, um, <laughs> <laughs> pogues with uh, with a license, right? And so uh, I deployed to Iraq twice. I was in the Marine Corps uh, from 2002 to 2006, and uh, one of the best chapters of my life, I have to say. Pogues, people other than grunts. Although yeah. <laughs> motor T guys, truck drivers in the military, it was one of those uh, high demand, low density jobs that were in <laughs> yeah. demand of truck drivers more than anything during the Iraq Afghanistan time frame. But hard to believe all that stuff went on for twenty years. Still still kind of going on in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Well, let's just say Motor T wasn't one of those uh, uh quote strategy jobs. Uh, so to say. Yeah. <laughs> Strategic thinking. Yeah. When were you when were you in Iraq? <laughs> Uh, I was in the Al Ambar province, so I was over at TQ and Al Assad, and then I did a stint over in Camp Fallujah for a couple months in okay. uh, the 2005 time frame. Yeah, you were at where, when were you at TQ in 05? Yeah, I was at TQ. I was at TQ in Fallujah in 05. Okay, yeah, I was there yeah, in 04. I, like, I was at TQ in 04 for seven. Oh, months. really? Yeah, uh-huh. Al, Al Assad was a was a lot better. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the burger when the Burger King got built at Al Assad, that's when things really changed <laughs> for everybody. Yeah, there. when they build when they build yeah. the Burger King, you know, you know, we're going to be there for a while. Yeah, it went from like Full Metal Jacket, like '04, like no rules. Everybody's trying to figure out like who are we exactly fighting to like '05. There's a Burger King on there, and then like you know the influx of Nitro Tech Way supplements, and everybody's kind of like, okay, we got some commercialization here. Uh, so. Yeah, it was a big transition. Oh uh, yeah, no kidding. Hey, so uh, so talk about what what happened when you got out of the Marine Corps. You know, was it planned? Did it come? Did it happen right away? Did you have a a, a transition plan getting out? Oh man, uh, did I have a transition? Uh, no, I did not. Uh, but I really wish. I would have had something, maybe even like an eight by 11 that would have just said like, go here, then do this. And then, you know, you'll be okay. Uh-huh. There was none of that. And the transition process for me was incredibly hard. Uh, 
when I look th- when I look back at my time in the Marine Corps, I learned so much going from a young man at 18 years old all the way to a 23-year-old that felt like in a lot of ways, not just physically, because as you know, the always the joke is you get out of the military, you enter in at 18, you leave at 45. <laughs> um, but you know, f- but for me mostly it was uh, the physical the physicality of the Marines and the mental toughness that I learned mm-hmm. from discipline and commitment and teamwork and service. I got out at 23 years old feeling feeling very old and just mature. I felt like I had just accrued so much experience. And what was really powerful about my transition experience was I got out feeling like I could do anything, like I was resilient in, in, in a lot of ways, but at the same time, I was so disconnected. Yeah. The transition process to me was a disconnected experience. I didn't really know how to connect with other 18, 19 year old freshmen and sophomores when I went to junior college. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was like to work a normal job. Uh, In the Marine Corps, you can say things and do things that, um, well, at that time frame, at least, that wasn't really scolded upon. You know, you had, you know, you could give your buddies a, a ration of crap, you know, and you could use vulgarity and profanity. Like it was cool. You get out into the work world. Uh, you can't do that. And you know, there's, it's just the way that the rules are written. Yeah. People get so, offended by that stuff. It's really weird. Yeah. You know, it's, it, we're in an interesting time, I, I believe of censorship and, you know, we can save that. We can save that conversation for later in the podcast. But I think for me, it was the disconnection of not knowing what a Marine with two combat experiences or a veteran with two combat experiences uh, tours, uh, coming home and being able to relate and make friends. Mm-hmm. You know, And so it became a very challenging experience. The more I tried to connect, the more I tried to find my sense of normalcy in the world after kind of feeling like I got airdropped in the middle of the, you know, the civilian world. Um, the more I felt further and further away from being, being normal. And I, you know, I battled a very, very long road of PTSD and drinking and, you know, cannabis use. And we're not talking about like going to a concert and smoking a little puff of the joint We're we're talking about, um, you know, we're talking about using it as a crutch using it to cope, using it as a mechanism. And this is not to frown upon anybody that uses that for medicinal purposes. Uh, but my experience is I was using it for a crutch to exist in society, to try to not deal with the day to day. And it was a very challenging experience for me. Um, I felt like I had no purpose, uh, to be quite honest. Yeah. So walk us through, as you push through that troubled time, what were some of the things that you discovered that became solutions for you? Um, well, I, I think the one thing that I found that was the most powerful solution is, is faith. And I'm not talking about in the religious sense. I'm talking about the faith and the ability to get up every single day and use the tools that you learn from the military service to carry on. Every no that I got in a job application. And mind you, I was in college when the 2008 crash happened. So now imagine being a veteran, you get out of the service, and then two years later, the entire country just like collapses. The economy just goes to all hell. And you're still trying to figure out what you're going to do next after school. Meanwhile, veteran unemployment was incredibly high. The suicide rate was incredibly high. The cards were not stacked in my favor or dealt in my favor at all. But I do remember that what we found was the most powerful was establishing a sense of faith and a will to create change for myself. And that meant 
that I was going to get a lot of no's, but I was going to get yeses. I was going to be able to wake up the next day and the next day was going to be better than the day before. Um, being at a rock bottom, so to speak, during my transition, the rough period of my transition, I made a to- I made a promise to myself that I was never ever going to be at the lowest of lows like I like I was before, and I I had hit rock bottom in probably like 2010, and it was it was very trying times. When I talk about rock bottom you get to this place where it's so dark, you're not really sure uh, where else to go, but you look up and you go, the only way I can go forward is up. You know, the only way that I can move on in my life is I just got to pick my head up. I got to just pick myself up off the ground and I got to keep going. And I found resiliency to be a really powerful tool in being able to just go apply for jobs, ask questions, get in the door with people who are well-connected, who were veteran supporters starting with that low hanging fruit. And every single day I said, I got a small win. I'm going to create another small win and another small win. And then it just started adding up from faith became more confidence or more confidence. I was able to go out there and establish myself. And so uh, to to answer that question, uh, having a level of faith was really key in that transition um, in that process for me to uh, get to where I am today. What what was what are some of the things you started uh, business wise, entrepreneurial wise? You started to get into once once you got a purpose back in your life. Yeah, it was right around two thousand and twelve, thirteen ish. I started. This is right after I got out of college. I started getting into blog writing, content writing. Um, when I was in the service, when I was in college, and I was going through my transition process. One of the things that I found that I really loved more than anything was storytelling. I was a huge fan and still am a huge fan of Ernest Hemingway. And he had great, he had military service. He was a medic, I believe in world war one, but his books were just so amazing and they were so profound and they were so short. And, you know, this is not to say, Oh, well, it's a great book because it's short. No, it was a great book because the power of words was really, the power of words was used in such a precise manner to describe a story that required that you would think would require so much more. So what I found is, is that I love storytelling. So I started content writing and I started doing freelance blog, write, blog writing. And then I started getting a little bit more confidence, started getting a little, started like pitching clients, had no clue how to sell people. They don't teach you how to sell the Marines. You know, you just do what you're told, you mm-hmm. know, when you're told to do it and then kind of just be off, you know, be off with your day. Yep. But when you start getting out and running your own business um, and doing freelance work, you know, you're trying to pitch clients, you're using websites, you're like trying to do work for free and hoping to parlay it into <laughs> parlay into a paid deal. Um, you're doing everything you can, but by real I would say my real break was in 2013. Um, I ended up going to New York City. I ended up consulting for a project uh, with the Huffington Post, hmm. and I. The only way I can, t- the you know that that story is, is is a story that I'll I'll never forget. But it was the power of relationships is what I learned, is being able to establish true connection with people, not out of trying to get something from them, but rather just I want to connect with you and just have a relationship. And for everybody that's listening out there, relationships happen over time. 
true connections and networks are built over time. They are not built. You don't meet somebody, hand them your business card and be like, cool, I got a connection. No, it takes multiple phone calls. It takes gifts. It takes, you know, text messages, just even checking in true authenticity. And so a relationship that I had had blossomed to a connection at the Huffington Post had blossomed into a meeting with Ariana Huffington, who at that time uh, was probably the eighth most powerful, most wealthiest woman in the world, in the world. And here I am sitting in a room with her telling her that the mainstream media is not telling the true stories about American veterans. It's all this negative stigma about mental health and poverty and like, you know, drug and alcohol, you know, the same, the same stuff that we, you and I hear Joe, but I will, I will tell you this. She listened. And I said that veterans are people too. And they're just men and women who decided to serve their country in a time of war. And when they get out, they're just looking to get on with their lives. They want to return back to normalcy. They want jobs. Everybody wants a job and everybody wants to make money and everybody wants to provide for their family and they want to be left alone and they just want to live a happy life. And she heard that. And uh, next thing you know, I got, uh, <laughs> I got asked to consult on this project. And so that was kind of my big break. And I ended up writing for them too. I had a blog on the Huffington Post, uh, which was really cool. Wow. That's awesome. Take on this holiday season with the help of Navy Federal Credit Union. Learn how you can get cheered to last all year with the cash rewards card at NavyFederal.org. When you use the Navy Federal Cash Rewards card, you can earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases. We're using our rewards to fly our kids to Florida to go on a cruise this year. You can redeem your rewards as soon as you earn them, and using the Navy Federal mobile app makes redeeming easier than ever. Enjoy the rewards of cash back without any annual fee, balance transfer, or foreign transaction fees. There are no limitations on rewards, and they never expire while your account is open. Our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA, rates are variable and range between 12.65% and 18% APR based on credit worthiness. ATM fees for cash advances are up to $1 at non-Navy Federal ATMs. Messages and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Hey, back talking with Marine veteran Mike Liguri from Live Your Truth Media. So, Mike, right for the break, you're working doing some stuff with the Huffington Post. You actually got a meeting with um, Ariana Huffington. forgot her name there for a second. Um, What was the big takeaway for that? Uh, Always bet on yourself. You got to be able to, at any point in time, if you want something bad enough, you got to bet on yourself Mm -hmm. because no one's going to bet. No one's going to make you go do anything. You have to be able to commit to the ability for you to go out there and get what you want. And at that time I wanted to work in media. I wanted to work in storytelling. I wanted to tell stories for a living. That was all I could think about. It was like I eat, um, eat, you know, eat, sleep and breathe storytelling. And that was to me was what I wanted more than anything. And things just started presenting, you know, life started presenting, presenting opportunities to me. And the first thing I said to myself was, is like, I just got to go do it. If they say no, they say no, but I'm in a room right now with this incredibly powerful woman who I have time with through a couple introductions and she's giving me her time out of her busy schedule. I have one shot and I'm just going to pitch it. And I ended up pitching it and she loved it. And, you know, she signed a book and she, you know, she said, thank you so much for your time. And then I went on my way and got a blog with the Huffington Post. And I looked back on that and I said, you know, if I had not believed that I could do it, if I didn't give myself a chance, if I didn't bet on myself, that never would have happened. Wow. 
So a lot of significant things happened after that event. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Walk us through the sequence of events after the Ariana Huffington yeah. experience and ultimately how you ended up starting Live Your Truth Media. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I was living in New York City at the time and uh, was trying to get into media and I just had no success. I, I applied for an internship at Rolling Stone at the time. Uh, it was not paid, uh, but I applied for an internship at Rolling Stone at the time. I was working at a tech company down in the financial district. And, you know, there was something about all of the stuff that I was doing that felt really, really exhausting. I needed a break, um, frankly. And some things were just not working out for me either. Um, I had taken some other opportunities that I thought were going to be fruitful and just ended up, you know, not being in alignment um, with, with the company or with myself. And uh, I ended up getting a job with an organization called The Mission Continues. And, um, that was, you know, and I was telling you on the break, that was one of the best times in my work career. I worked with an amazing, amazing group of people. Uh, I was in an office to this day, uh, with the smartest, brightest people I've ever been around in my life. Every single person in that office was highly educated. They were kind, um, they were thoughtful and they were strategic. And I'll never forget that. You know, when I first started that job there, um, you know, telling this story, I think is just really interesting. And hopefully I, I, I hope this will help somebody out there that's listening. I remember when I first showed up, I was like, I'm going to come out of the gates hot and I am going to like show everybody how smart I am. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show everybody like I, I'm, I'm how ambitious and, you know, I've always had a really good work uh, work ethic and relentless attitude and just pursuit and like very focused on the goals. I've just always been that way. Um, and I remember that I was like, kind of was just like establishing, trying to establish myself as the top dog there. And my boss at the time calls me into his office. And, uh, this guy was insanely smart. We're talking about like Columbia, Harvard and West Point. That all three of his schools. And he calls me into his office and he sits me down and he says, Hey, I know you're working really hard, but like you got to kind of cool off a little bit. And without going too much into what the conversation was, he basically said like, Hey man, like you, you can't be going around here trying to like puffing your chest out. That's not how we do things around here. And he's like, if you can't shape up, like I'm going to have to let you go. And I'm like, and immediately I just cower. And I'm like, no, 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 please don't let me go. Just give me another chance. Get to me, I promise. And he said, you have to do things differently. You can't be like you were in the military where you're trying to like establish yourself, establish yourself as like the alpha dog. It's different here. You got, it's, it's all this, it's your mind. It's not, it's not like, you know, how strong you are. It's not like kicking down doors. And this is a guy who was a, you know, a tank commander. And I was listening to him and he said, if you want to get ahead, you got to think this is going to be the key to getting you ahead. And he said, and I'll teach you how to do that. He said, but you got to learn to be a student. So I went in there and had this reinvention, like kind of this, this renaissance, so to speak of how to critically think and how to strategically process things and questions to ask and dig into research and seek knowledge. And that time frame at the mission continues was so powerful because I was learning by osmosis 
how to think, how to have conversations, how to talk to donors, how to get people to give you money so you can continue doing the work that you're doing on the nonprofit side of things. Very much in tandem how it is in the sales side of things. Sure. And so, and so, Joe, I I ended up learning how to think and have conversations with people. And we're not just talking about talking. We're talking about conversations where there's a purpose to it, being mindful of people's time, uh, being caring and giving in the conversation and not like in the back of your head as some entrepreneurs, I'm sure like yourself, you're like on the phone with the prospect and you're like, man, I just need to close this guy. I got to close him. I got to get this money. And then you're doing, you're trying to say everything you can to get this person going. I learned how to not operate from a place of desperation. What I learned was to operate from a place of intentionality and focus by having these meaningful conversations. And those people at the Mission Continues uh, saved my career. Um, they taught me a lot. Wow. That's awesome. And yeah. how was it you got into podcasting and media? Yeah. So after I did my stint at uh after I did my stint, the mission continues. I ended up moving to Denver and worked at Open Table, um, and I worked in the customer support side, which was really great. I had an amazing time at the Open Table. And then one day, I got an email uh, from a guy who had a podcasting company, and they were looking for a staff writer. Now, for those of you who don't know, I started out this whole entire career of mine, this pathway as a as a writer. And so to get a full-time staff writer position at a media company was like a dream. So I ended up having a phone call with him. He offered me a deal. I was gone and I moved right into, I didn't move anywhere physically, but I moved right into that staff writer role. And then two weeks later, Joe, I'm writing an article off these podcast episodes we're doing. And he sets up a meeting with me and he says, uh, we need a producer for our podcast. We think you can do it. And I go, Oh, well, what's that? What's a podcast? And he, yeah, what, what's what's a producer do? And he's like, well, we kind of have a process, which for me was code for um, we not we don't really have anything in place. Yeah. So we're probably going to need you to figure that out. And I was like, you know, and I kind of took it as like, okay, I can figure this out. And man, I got to tell you, I it was like a crash course in learning systems and operations and learning how to get episodes out and working with a big call with Salesforce was a massive client of ours at the time. So here I am working on these podcasts to produce for Salesforce's audience, which is in the millions running podcasts that we're doing, um, you know, 200,000 downloads a month. I was doing a daily show. We had, um, you know, we had Marissa Mayer, who was the former CEO of Yahoo. And at that time, we, there was only two interviews that she was giving that were exclusive. And it was the New York Times and us. And awesome. I had this interview about what happened when she, you know, left Yahoo, which was very, you know, kind of behind closed doors. Nobody ever really talked about it except her. And uh, Joe, that's how I got into podcasting. I fell in love with it. Um, I still think today it's the biggest, most uh, powerful channel of media that we have. Uh, available to us. Yeah, absolutely. It, it goes down to the common man that can produce one too. So, yes. Yeah. And so ultimately in the podcasting and, you know, where did the concept of live your yeah. truth media come from, which is ultimately your baby that you created? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's grown fast too. Speaking of babies, it feels like uh, yesterday I just started this thing and we'll be in business for uh, year four. 
uh, come in January, which is awesome. really, which is really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, how live your truth media started was I started noticing in storytelling and in content at then at that time, just to give everybody a frame of reference, 2018, 2019 was like, we are, it seems like light years ago in terms of content, how fast things are moving on social media. What I started seeing, what I started seeing was, is that brands needed an opportunity to talk about authenticity and connection in a medium that was going to give them a true relationship with their customers. What I saw a lot of times was content creators were so quick to monetize their audiences, including brands, without building out relationships. I saw things in my career uh, over the last 10 years, I saw things in my career where people were prioritizing the contract deal over the person that they were talking to that was influencing the content that was influencing the strategy. And then it becomes this, you know, run of the mill. We got to get this out. Now we got to get this out. Now we got to get this out now just to satisfy deliverables. Mm -hmm. People weren't taking their time in and producing really rich, powerful stories. I saw this trend because people were going, Oh, I can make money off of podcasting. I'm just going to do it. And we still have that in our society. We have this, we have this really bad habit of, oh, if I can make money off of it, I'm just going to do it. Right. Following the dollar. podcast. Right. Yeah. And that's it. That's all it is. It's always following the money. It's like, oh, I can make YouTube videos and they're going to pay me for it. I'll just start a full on YouTube channel. Right. We've Even though they had no interest in doing that, they just had the interest right. in the money. Yeah. Right. And that's, and that's what happens with a lot of content creators. And what I started noticing was, is nobody was playing the long game. Nobody was playing, building an actual show. No, you were telling me that you've been doing this for uh, eight years, I believe. Yeah. Like that is still for a podcast. That's like the nice maturity level where you've had so many episodes. You do it because you care and you do it because you're passionate about it. And you think it's a great way to connect with people. Yeah. And, and I have to give you credit because that's a lot of endurance and it's a lot of stamina to be able to show up all the time and yeah. connect. Yeah. Your interview number 463. Yeah, and that's amazing. Most there's a statistic in podcasts. I think it's still the same today. Most podcasts never make it past episode seven. Yeah, eighty percent of them. Eighty yeah. percent of podcasts uh, do not make it past episode eight. I eight. believe it is. So <laughs> they're already quitting. Yeah, and so they're already quitting. And we live in a society where it's like right here, right now. We have to get it done. And Live Your Truth Media really turns that entire model on its head and says, hey, look, if you want to have sales, if you want to have relationships with your customers, if you want to actually build an audience, you're going to have to put in the work. And so what we do is, is we teach brands and companies how to turn their audiences, build audiences, turn audiences into paying customers through this lens of authenticity and connection of podcasting. And so by doing that, uh, we get creators to evolve. We get creators to double down on ideas, to really build relationships, to get people to see that they can participate in their content. And community has been this thing that's really been emphasized over the last couple of years where creators are now starting to see that they have an opportunity to build not just an audience, but a community of people that will interact with their content uh, that will go to their retreats, that will go to their live in-person events. If they're doing a live podcasting, they will show up. And so creators, and for everybody out there that has interest in becoming a creator uh, or this slash solopreneur, here's your opportunity. 
Um, but it, you gotta, you gotta do what Joe's doing. Joe's been here four sixty three. Yep. That's 463 different, two different people, not including myself that you've talked to over the years. That's amazing. But that's the thing that I love about our work and my team um, was an amazing group of people. That's what I love about my team is, is that they bought into this long game and they get it. And they said, it takes time. And if you ask any great creator, uh, Mr. Beast, if you guys know who Mr. Beast is, he's the number one YouTube creator in the world. There's a billion views a month. Okay. I have to admit, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> look this guy up. No, no, no. Swear to God. For Mr. anybody Beast, out there, look like this guy up. Mr. Beast. Yeah, Mr. Beast. He does a billion views a month on YouTube. That means an eighth of the it. planet is what that means an eighth of the planet is watching his stuff. And then it's, it's absolutely incredible. He's 20. I think he's 25 years old. And somebody said to him, like, how did you build a YouTube channel? He just said, I just showed up every single day and was consistent. He's been doing it for six, seven years. That's, that's what it's about. You know, what's so crazy about that is how do you, how are you successful at anything? I just show up every day and I'm consistent. Doesn't matter what. Right. I used used to tell our kids that when it comes to school jobs, you show up every day, you're ahead of 80% of the rest of the crowd. That's right. You show up up motivated, sober, well-rested and with a good attitude. Now you're ahead of 90%. That's right. Yeah. And Seinfeld was the same way. Jerry Seinfeld, when he was doing, when he was, when he's, how he got to the top of his career a lot of people don't know it took him 10 years. It took him 12 years working the clubs three, four nights a week in New York doing jokes that, you know, failed miserably and then doing jokes that were a hit. Uh, Joe Rogan's the same way. You know, Joe Rogan's when he started out his podcast, he couldn't even operate a mic. Now he's, he's getting paid 12 years later. He's getting paid over a hundred million dollars to podcast has the number one podcast in the world. Yeah. It takes time. Uh, I, I can give you plenty of other examples. One of my favorite examples is I, Joe Rogan talked about how he prepares for a Netflix special. So what he does is he reverse engineers the whole entire thing and he will go out and start doing comedy in the clubs at the laugh factory. He'll go to all these places and he'll try out new jokes and he'll just keep going. And it's all done in real time feedback. He'll say a joke about uh, Obama or say he'll joke about Trump and he'll see if it lands. And if it doesn't land, he crosses it off his list and he goes, okay, I got to do something else. Yeah. He does that Joe for 18 months, 18 months. He's refining and he's creating his routine and he's putting in the work and he's taking real time feedback and he's doing everything he can, he can to create something that's going to be ready for his Netflix special. But I want you to, th- I want everybody to think about that 18 months to prepare for an hour and a half Netflix special, an hour Netflix special that's commitment to excellence. And that's what mm-hmm. really separates people. The good from the great is commitment to excellence, the willingness to do things that other people are not willing to do. Yeah. That's awesome. Hey, uh, mm-hmm. Mike, unfortunately we're getting close to the end of our time. Um, how do we find out more about live your truth media? Yeah. So you can find out more about, yeah, you can find out more about live your truth media, um, at Mike Uh, and then you can go, so it's M I K E L I G U O R I.com. And you can shoot me a message and get in touch with me if you want to learn more about who we are and what we do. 
Uh, or you can also go to our website at liveyourtruth.media and uh, you can see our work and see what we're all about. That's awesome. And if you're talking to somebody in the military on their way out, somebody in the middle of a transition, they're looking, you know, looking for that next big step in, in, in getting out of the military, entrepreneurship's a possibility for them. They're not really sure what they want to do. What kind of advice do you have for them? Yeah. Two pieces of advice. Um, entrepreneurship is a marathon, not a sprint. It's a long ruck. Excellent. That's a long one. And the second one is, is always believe in yourself. Rock on. All right. Oh yeah. Sage advice. Go for it. Couldn't say any better. All right, Mike. Well, thanks. And, uh, glad to see, you know, four years running on uh, live your truth media, which is your baby. Uh, you've definitely crossed over into the world of entrepreneurship and self-sustaining with, with your business. That's awesome to see. We look forward to seeing your future success. Uh, Thank you, Joe. I really appreciate your time. All right. These two Marines are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.